If you're listening to this on a podcast app, open up and leave us a review. It really helps the show out. Thanks. This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. Type 1 diabetes can often feel like a weakness. First, your immune system is killing off the insulin-producing beta cells in your pancreas in a blatant act of self-sabotage. And testing my blood sugar to see if I'm okay is a constant reminder that I am, in fact, not okay. And I have to carry around a bag of fruit snacks in case my blood sugar goes low. Superman got to fly at the sun to revive himself. I have an assortment of grape and strawberry chews that you pack in a first grader's lunchbox. So in those first few moments after diagnosis, even if you're on the varsity rowing team at San Diego State University, like Matt was, it's hard to see beyond the fact that you now have a chronic autoimmune disease that you didn't have when you walked into the doctor's office. How was the diabetes diagnosis first presented to you? Oh, man. By... <laughs> a doctor who was in a rush. The doctor came in, told me I could never have sugar again because diabetics can't have sugar, gave me violent insulin, said, you're probably going to experience complications down the road. You may lose limbs. You know, you could probably gonna die earlier. Have a great day. And sent me home. There was very little instruction on what insulin does to my body, how if I take too much, it could be very harmful and uh, very little education overall. Now, my parents worked for Kaiser, and they were close friends with an endocrinologist. So, my parents called up their endocrinologist friend. They came over and educated me, spent a lot of time helping me out, teaching me about carb counts and insulin ratios and all that stuff. But had I not had access to that family friend, I would have been in for a very rude awakening. Did that scare you at the time? You know, those long-term complications, just, you know going to lose your limbs, going to go blind, like have fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I was terrified. And uh, I know they were using scare tactics to get me to take control of it, uh, which I don't believe is the, the right way to go about it. But it worked on me because obviously I don't want to lose limbs. I don't want to have organ failure or uh, experience any other complications. And so it shot me into this mindset of I have to take care of this or bad things are going to happen. But ultimately that wears off. And I got to a point where I did not care about testing my blood sugar and I would take my insulin. I would give rough estimations of the carb counts and, you know, attempt to give the right doses, but I would never check blood sugar before meals. I wouldn't check after meals. I wouldn't check before bed. I would, it was rare that I would check. And then most days I didn't even know where my blood sugar tester was. And so looking back, I can see how extremely dangerous that was because I was a very active person. I would eat late at night. I remember in college, I used to inject for a massive carne asada burrito at 11 o'clock at night. I'd eat it and go straight to bed. <laughs> no testing, no caution, nothing. I just would go with it. And, you know, if I go low, I'll probably wake up. That was my mindset. And it's, it was irresponsible, but uh, I also will lead that back into, I was not fully educated about 
how to take care of my diabetes in the best way possible. Um, but I will also attribute a lot of that to, you know, rebellion. I was diagnosed in my late teenage years and I just like to pretend that I didn't have diabetes. And so I would take my insulin and then ignore it, take my insulin and then ignore it. And that was just kind of how I took care of it for the first couple of years, which is scary to think about now. Why did you pretend you didn't have it? Were you embarrassed? You know, part of it was an embarrassment. Um, when I would test blood sugar or when I would inject, I would actually, if we were at a restaurant, I would excuse myself when the food arrived. I would go to the bathroom, lock myself in the stall, and then I would test my blood sugar and take my injection and then walk back out like nothing happened. And to me, looking back now, I can see that it's because before my diagnosis, I felt like Superman. You know, I was this collegiate athlete. Uh, I felt unstoppable. I was young and stupid. And after diagnosis, I felt that diabetes made me weaker. I thought that people would view me differently and assume that I couldn't do the same things that I used to do, that they would assume that this with this lifelong disease, I would become weaker. And so, I wanted to hide that from them so I could still maintain that image of I'm superhuman and I can outrun you. And so, I was definitely embarrassed initially. Do you think you saw yourself as weaker? Looking into it, honestly, I would say yes, because before, you know, there was virtually nothing wrong with me. And now there is something that just wasn't right, something in my body that was broken. And I initially didn't feel whole. I felt like there was a piece of me missing. And, then, and that as a broken human, I may have internally felt less than. And so it, it, uh, it's a sad thing to think about now that I allowed myself to think that. But uh, it's also difficult to avoid those thoughts when you do come into a position of being diagnosed with a chronic lifelong illness. How did that start to change? You know, um, as far as the burnout with testing goes and being a responsible diabetic and actually taking care of myself, I would attribute that to family and loved ones. Now, my parents nonstop because it's <laughs> here's the scary part. I was diagnosed in college and then partway through college, I left to pursue modeling and acting. I moved to New York. And while I was living in New York, I still wasn't testing my blood sugar regularly. And I, on my own across the country, my parents are worried. You know, I'm still eating late at night and not testing and going out for workouts, running and doing all sorts of stuff without testing my blood sugar. And every day, my mom would text or call and send little reminders. Hey, maybe you should test your blood sugar today. Maybe it would be a good idea. You know, she wasn't trying to force it down my throat, but trying to send those gentle reminders. And over time, I would try to remember to test my blood sugar. So I knew that it was the right thing to do. And I wanted her to feel secure and happy with me testing my blood sugars. And uh, I didn't want to make her worry. And then further down the road, I was dating my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and we were dating long distance. And she also kind of added those little hints in of, you should probably test your blood sugar. And she was amazing back then. She, oh, she still is, but she did all of her research. As soon as she found out, you know, how serious diabetes really is, she learned as much as she could. And so she's like, no, you actually do need to test your blood sugar. It's not just an optional thing. You should probably test it right now. And so, uh, with my parents and my sisters and eventually my girlfriend, 
all of them supporting me in that uh, led me to want to change and uh, become a better person so that they wouldn't have to worry as much. And then ultimately, that led me into realizing how important it is for my own health. And then once that came into the picture, it, was, it snapped. I was like, okay, snapped into place. This is what I have to do. I need to lead my life as healthy as possible and do what I can to control this disease. Was that a big change, you think? It was probably gradual. It was gradual, yes. So they led me into try to test your blood sugar once a day. Okay, I can do that. You know, try to test it twice a day. Try to test it at least before meals. And so over time, I was getting more and more information and noticing, okay, this is what happens when I eat that type of food and learning how to better manage it. But it did take time. How much now does having, you know, a support network of friends and families who really understand diabetes impact your life? In incredible ways that I never thought possible. Does it ever get annoying? You know, they are amazing about it. Um, my little sister actually has type 1 diabetes as well. And uh, I have three sisters. So one of them has type 1. And she got it about a year and a half or two years after I did. And I've noticed that I'm actually more annoying to her than she is to me. And uh, this is coming from she went through a similar phase that I did when it's she still tested her blood sugar. She was responsible in that light. But she doesn't let diabetes slow her down in this in the sense of if she's low, she just continues on. And so I'm looking at her. I'm like, shouldn't you have some sugar? Shouldn't you test your blood sugar again? She's like, calm down. I'm fine. I got this. You know, and I'm just trying to help. But then I realized over time, me trying to help also could come across as annoying. So I had to tone it back a bit. How did you feel when you found out she had type 1 as well? You know, I got the phone call. Uh, I still remember it vividly. I was in my Christian fraternity house at San Diego State. And they told me she was in the hospital with symptoms of type 1. And they uh, had just given her, you know, that you may get this diagnosis soon. And sure enough, she got the diagnosis. I drove home immediately. And on the way home, I broke down crying. And I'm not usually one to cry, but I knew the change of life that she was in for. And I knew how difficult the road ahead would be for her to learn all this new information and take on these new responsibilities that nobody should have to deal with. And for her, especially in high school, where kids can be so judgmental and mean, I was... I was heartbroken. I really was. I was more heartbroken when she was diagnosed than when I was. What did you say to her when you finally got to the hospital? Uh, by the time I got to her, she had already come home from the hospital. And uh, <laughs> I looked at her and she saw me come to the front door. We both started crying and I went and gave her a hug. And while it was one of the saddest moments that I can remember, it also brought us closer than anything ever had in the past. We weren't very close growing up because she was the youngest child and I was the oldest. But that diagnosis gave us something in common that no one else had. And we knew that we were in a fight together. And so it was something that brought us together that we wouldn't have seen before. And as a result, we've grown closer over the years. And um, we have a special connection that we would not have had if diabetes weren't in the equation. However, that being said, I still hate that she has to live with this disease. After she was diagnosed, do you think that changed your relationship 
to your diabetes that you somehow had to, you know, show your sister, this isn't so bad. You know, you can do these things with it as opposed to, you know, if you didn't take care of it, then, you know, she'd be like, oh, I guess I don't have to take care of mine either. I would say that initially, yes, it showed me that I needed to take care of myself to be an example for her and uh, to show her that we're fighting this thing together. But there was an interesting turn of events um, just over a year ago where I faced some very challenging times with diabetes, so much so that uh, it, it wrecked me mentally. And I had some severe lows in a foreign country where I wasn't receiving the medical care that was needed. And I, I honestly thought that I was going to die. Took the next flight home, spent a lot of money on emergency care and got back into the swing of things. But mentally, I was not the same. And it took time for me to build back my confidence with diabetes care, but also with just living my life. And it was partially due. Now, I'm going to give a lot of credit to my wife. My wife helped me through that immensely. She was an incredible support, but my sister, watching her take care of her diabetes, go about her day, you know, she'd be sitting in the seventies and not freaking out. Whereas I would be panicking because I had a flashback to where I almost died. Seeing her go through that so calmly showed me that what I'm panicking about is not logical and I need to get my crap together because my little sister's taking care of her diabetes better than I am. And uh, she motivated me. She inspired me to take back that mindset, that fearless mindset that I used to have. And so the tables turned and she had turned into the one who was in control, the one who was motivating the other diabetic. And I got to see her in that new light. And so, yeah, she is my diabetic hero. And she was there for me when I needed her. And she helped me get back on track. Uh, so you started FTF Warrior. Why focus FTF on diabetes? So my wife and I, when we were living in LA, decided we wanted to make this program. And initially, it was for everyone with autoimmune diseases because I have type 1 diabetes and my wife has Crohn's. And so we thought we could help the autoimmune community with their life and fitness, nutrition, and all that kind of stuff but then realized we would be more helpful if we uh, specialized with one. So we chose diabetes and FTF stands for from the fight, which is what Van de Vecht, our last name means in Dutch, but it's also what we truly believe every diabetic embodies. We are all from the fight. We're fighting this disease every day. We don't have a break. You know, there are no vacations. You can't rent a pancreas for a couple of days while you go enjoy your life. You're stuck with this and we have to accept that and move on and then continue on with our lives, continue on pursuing our goals, chasing our dreams. And warrior obviously comes from that same aspect, but also we all refer to ourselves as warriors because like I said, we're fighting this every day. And so FTF warrior was built around diabetes. One, because I have type one diabetes. I know the struggles that exist with type one diabetes but I also know that there is a huge gap where when you're first diagnosed, you're not necessarily educated on what you have to do to take care of yourself in order to avoid the complications. They might say there are complications, but in my case, he just said, don't eat sugar 
and uh, good luck, <laughs> you know? And so I thought it would be beneficial to create a program that would educate diabetics on what to expect, what they can do to better their outcome, what they can do to thrive in life and to not let diabetes hold them back. How do you pursue this business and grow this business that's you know focused on what health and wellness and fitness with diabetes when you yourself are kind of struggling with diabetes? That is exactly what I said to my wife. I came back and I said, I don't know how I can coach people if I'm struggling. And she says, well, first off, you need to let them know that you're struggling. You need to show them that you're a real person. You're not perfect and no one's perfect. And so ultimately, I started posting about bad blood sugars. I showed screenshots of my CGM going wild from 70 to 240 back down to 90 and just doing crazy stuff to show that I'm a real person and to show people that it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have bad days. And that time frame that I went through reminded me the need for mental health attention with diabetics and that it's not widely addressed. I was never told when I was first diagnosed that the mental side of diabetes can get really complicated. And that when I was first diagnosed, they didn't warn me that depression could be a thing, that anxiety could be a thing. And so it gave me new insight into the mind of someone who is struggling with mental health and uh, ultimately how to live and then thrive in spite of that. After you were diagnosed and hiding diabetes, whether from other people or even from yourself in a sense, what do you think that person back then would say if they saw you now having a career defined by diabetes? Back then, if I saw myself now, I would be shocked. I would tell you that man is an imposter and that is just not possible because initially, like I mentioned, I wanted nothing to do with diabetes. I wanted to inject so that I wouldn't die and then forget about it. I did what I needed to get by and then I would go and live my life. And I did not want to be associated with it. I didn't want to be known as having diabetes because to me that equaled weakness. And uh, I didn't like the idea of that. But then, you know, flash forward to where we're at now. And I am sad that I was so embarrassed by that and that I didn't embrace it earlier, that I didn't see the difference that I could make earlier. But honestly, there was a lot of growth that needed to happen. When I was first diagnosed, I was a much different person. I was a lot more shy. I was immature. I was irresponsible. And through those years of growth, I learned a lot. And I learned how to effectively help people. And I learned from my own mistakes. That's a big one. I, you know, trial and error. I went through a lot of mistakes, a lot of hard times. And I had to learn how to work through that. And it was through learning how to work through those dark times that I gained more of an appreciation of the struggles that people go through. And so it formed me into who I am today. Do you still see type 1 diabetes as a weakness? Absolutely not. That's one reason why we call it the warrior. And, you know, we are going through this fight every day. 
most people in the world don't understand the uh, intensity that this disease has and carries with it. Because if we make a wrong decision, it could influence the rest of our lives. It could end our lives. And the amount of mental power that it takes just to get through a day, especially for those who have a harder time controlling their diabetes, is seemingly endless. To get out and go to the gym, you're facing your fears. To inject insulin, you may be facing your fears. To talk about it in public, you may be facing your fears. The world needs to know, not only was this not our choice, but we're fighting. We are warriors and we are strong. And in spite of having this disease, we still push through. And uh, that is the, the mindset that I hold currently, that this disease does not change who I am, does not make me weaker. Rather, it allows me to show the world that I can be stronger than them, even with the disease that is labeled as chronic and lifelong and, uh, and has so many different stigmas attached to it. Betacell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. If you love listening to Betacell and are curious how you can get even more of it to listen to, you can find just that by joining the Betacell fan club. When you join, you'll get tons of bonus clips, outtakes, extra never-before-heard content, as well as access to our fan club-only show, Out of Range, After Dark. Visit betacellpodcast.com for more info. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. This episode of Out of Range is brought to you by Companion Medical, the makers of the InPen Smart Insulin Pen. I haven't used the InPen myself, so I called up my friend Ella to get her opinion. I love how InPen keeps track of my insulin doses. It logs what time I take my insulin, how many units I take, and then it also keeps track of how much insulin I have left on board. Uh, It's really made my diabetes management so much easier. For more info, visit companionmedical.com.